Welcome to the teaching ministry of Kungsvinger Lutheran Church. Kungsvinger is a beacon for the gospel of Jesus Christ and is located on the plains of northwestern Minnesota. We proclaim Christ and Him crucified for our sins and salvation by grace through faith alone. And now, here's a message from Pastor Chris Roseborough. A reading from Ruth chapter 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, and sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. And then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance." Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal, Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Mahlon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May Yahweh make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that Yahweh will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and Yahweh gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be Yahweh who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, 
and Jesse fathered David. O Lord, have mercy on us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. What a great story. Like I said, this is the best chick flick in all of the world, and it's here in the Scriptures. It has wonderful twists and turns and true love, and I mean true love. You think of that movie, The Princess Bride, and this idea, the concept of true love being like the ultimate thing in all of the world, and that's exactly what we see here. The true love of a sacrificial redeemer for one who is not capable of freeing herself from poverty. That's a picture of us, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. We, because of our rebellion and participation in the sin of Satan and our first parents eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, contrary to God's command, have plunged us into ruin, misery, and the poverty and suffering of sin. And we are absolutely powerless to free ourselves from the situation. That's the picture that we find ourselves in. And last week, we heard the amazing proposal, a woman proposing to a man, uh, when Ruth said to Boaz in the middle of the night, having removed his blanket from his feet so that he would be shivering and have to figure out why he's cold, and then him seeing the shock of of, of a woman there at his feet, and he says, who are you? And she says, I am Ruth, your servant, Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Beautiful picture. And again, we are reminded of the fact that Christ indeed spread his wings over us by being nailed to the cross so that you and I can be forgiven and pardoned of our sin and iniquity. And after that whole affair, there at the threshing floor, well, Naomi was right. She was right. She said, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for Boaz will not rest, but he will settle the matter today. And now the focus is completely off of Ruth. The focus is on Boaz. Everything is on him. All eyes to see what he will do next and how he will sort all this out. And so just like Naomi said, he will not rest until he gets this sorted out. So our text begins with Boaz going up to the gate and he sat down there. Now, in the ancient world, okay, the city gate was the place where the men hung out and talked and gossiped and conducted business. In fact, in many of the ancient city gates of Israel, that was the place where in the heat of the day, you could still remain cool. Big, big stone, you know, stones built up these columns here that then worked themselves into an arch. And inside the arch, there were two benches, one on each side, each facing each other, kind of like parliament, if you think about it. And this is where they would discuss the news of the day, talk about how big the fish they caught was. It was really actually this small, but you know how the story goes, right? They would chew the yarn and do all kinds of business and stuff like that. And so Boaz, an upstanding man, is going to make sure that this is done correctly, that this is done with the proper amount of witnesses, and that no one can accuse him of doing an underhanded, shady deal for his benefit. And here's the thing. I need to remind you that this is not some kind of a... Of a speculation, a land speculation, where he's doing so well with his farm that of course it makes sense for him to take some of his money, parlay it into another parcel of property, extend his farm out, and he would be doing a lot better. 
If that were the case, then you'll note then the first redeemer would have easily taken that property because he was in a well enough position to do so. But that's not what's happening here. This is about redemption, being purchased out of poverty, being purchased out of complete financial bankruptcy. Naomi and Ruth have no leverage whatsoever to actually run the farm or even control the property itself. Although Boaz is going to purchase it from Naomi, she herself has no ability to run the property or to even exercise the rights of somebody who owns it. They need a redeemer to help them. And so I will remind you again that this is going to take a lot of sacrifice because in the end, the purchase of this property is not for his own benefit. It's for the benefit of the dead man, Mahlon. And the son that will be born to Boaz and Ruth by the Mosaic Covenant will not be considered his own. And when that boy gets to the point where he is able to run the inheritance, then the entire inheritance goes to him. And I would note in our days, have you noticed how selfish the younger generation is? Marriage is not a thing among many of the youth nowadays, millennials or even the Gen Z. And I would note, there's enough selfishness to go around between the men and the women of those generations that explains what's going on here. But over and again, you will hear stories of men who would rather, well, spend their time playing video games, increasing their 401k, traveling, working on their pet hobbies, purchasing expensive cars. And a pastor that, uh, that I happened to have read his sermon on this text tells a story where he was on a flight. He was on one of those cross-country flights from Los Angeles to New York. And uh, when he got on the plane, in front of him, well, there was a younger couple, but they were not married. They weren't even a thing. They just randomly got chosen to sit next to each other. And they were both kind of in their mid-30s, and they were both beautiful people, handsome man, ravishingly great woman, and, uh, and they struck up a conversation. He started talking her up, and she started talking him up, and next thing you know, partway through the flight, she kind of springs this question on him. Have you ever been married? Because he didn't have a wedding ring on. He says, no, I've never been married, and I have no intention of ever getting married, the man announced. He said, in fact, I loathe the idea of getting married and then having somebody else tell me what to do with my own house, with my own cars, and my own time. So then he kind of ended that little diatribe with just being honest. Well, as the flight started winding down and getting ready to land at JFK, uh, the guy decided that, you know, it's getting to be about dinner time out here on the East Coast. And so he asked the woman, would you like to go out to dinner with me? And she says, I'm not interested in going to dinner with you or doing anything with you at all. Just being honest. Right? (laughs) I think that kind of captures the, the state of affairs here among many And so what we're looking at here is a man who must be willing to look out for everybody except himself. 
He must be willing to risk everything that he has, his entire inheritance, for the purpose of redeeming Ruth, redeeming Naomi, redeeming their property, raising up children that will not be considered his legally. And then this investment, when it's all over, every penny that he's put into it is gone. Because when the boy comes of age, it'll all be his. That is a tall ask. It's a big, big thing to ask anybody to do this. And I would note, and here Boaz really begins to reflect Christ. May I remind you that Jesus Christ, to redeem his bride, to purchase his bride, he not, not only risked everything, he lost his entire life. And so you'll note that here in the types and shadows, Boaz is pointing us straight to Jesus in his redeeming work for his bride. So while he's there at the city gate, he sees the Redeemer, the Redeemer who's first in line. Boaz is in second. And so he says to him, turn aside, my friend, sit down here. And so he turned aside and he sat down and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they all sat down. And then he said to the Redeemer, and the Redeemer is never mentioned. His name is not named here. Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, then tell me that I may know. For there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. Well, you'll note Boaz hasn't put all the cards on the table. And so this redeemer is thinking, well, this is some good land speculation. I can increase my farming land. Oh boy, this is going to have a big, big financial benefit at the end of the year. The boon in, in what we're going to be taking in will be just huge. He thinks it's that kind of thing. So he says, sure, I'm in. I'll buy it. So then Boaz said, now listen, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. That's a horse of a different color. You said you would redeem it, so let me tell you the rest of the fine print here. Written in six-point Helvetica, hard to read without bifocals for me, but you get the idea. But he reads out the fine print, and this changes everything. In fact, if it weren't for the fact that this fellow now balks at what's going on, I don't think we would understand the legitimate severity of what it is that's being asked of this fellow. So the Redeemer said, I cannot, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. And notice here, he doesn't say, listen, if I bring Ruth home, my wife's going to kill me. He doesn't say that. Instead, he says, I can't redeem it, lest I impair my own inheritance. If I do this, you're asking me to sink my money, my inheritance, my blood, my sweat, my tears, my treasure into a property that will not even be mine. 
The risk is too great. The chances of both farms going belly up is huge. That's what he's saying here. So he says to Boaz, you take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, here's a fun bit. If you go back into the book of Exodus, there's an interesting little side note in the book of Exodus where God tells the children of Israel who are now in their wilderness wanderings. They have crossed the Red Sea. They are now wandering in the wilderness. And before they set out, God tells them, wherever your sandals touch the ground, the soles of your feet and the sandals touch the ground, that will be your inheritance. Everything will belong to you. It's kind of fascinating in that part of the world, because this takes place in Saudi Arabia, they find these petroglyph of sandals. Okay, it's a fascinating thing in that part of, of Saudi Arabia. That's the way of the Israelites saying, this also belongs to us because our feet have touched this, have touched this property, so it's ours too. And boy, let that come in, let that sneak into Middle East negotiations regarding the land of Israel and see things explode. But all that being said, because of that little detail, that little thing, wherever the soles of your feet, wherever your sandals touch, that will be your land, your inheritance. And you'll note, it was a huge area that their sandals touched their feet. And that has yet to be fulfilled because that little promise was pointing to none other than the new earth itself where the soles of the feet of only the elect in Christ, those who are grafted into Israel, will inherit the whole earth. And so Saudi Arabia will belong to the Christians. Saudi Arabia and the whole Middle East, all the way up to China and back across Russia, over until you get the whole thing. We're going to own the whole thing. That's kind of the idea. But that little detail is important here. It says, now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. He had to because the sandals had touched the... You kind of get the idea. It's really cool if you think about it. So it gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, will you buy it for yourself? He drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the land of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Helion and to Mahlon and also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. And that's right. He purchases Ruth as his wife. He bears the full cost. There's no dowry. She has nothing to offer him. She is in complete abject poverty herself. And so you'll note then there's some wonderful things that we can kind of pull out from other portions of the Scripture. For instance, in Galatians 4, it says this, wonderful text that we read at Christmas time. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And so here we see in this text the fulfillment of what we see happening in the types and shadows with Boaz. 
He then redeems and purchases his bride to redeem her so that he can raise up sons for the dead. It's a beautiful picture. And so we see that Christ fulfills this for us. And another wonderful way of looking at this is in fact back in Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church and he gave himself up for her. And that's what Boaz is doing. He's risking everything that he has, giving himself up for Ruth and for Naomi so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so that she might be holy and without blemish. And that's what Boaz is doing. By redeeming her, he is removing from her the blemish of poverty, the blemish of being a foreigner, the blemish of being a widow. And he is presenting her to himself in splendor, and he's bearing the entire cost. Is it any wonder then that this text in Ephesians makes mention of Genesis chapter 2 where it says that, that this idea that we are members of Christ's body was pointed out all the way back in Genesis 2 where it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Listen to this text then, verse 32. This mystery is profound, the mystery that we just read. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's the mystery. And so Paul then says, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that this text in Genesis 2 refers to Christ and to the church. Think it through, if you would. A man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Didn't Christ... Leave heaven, leave his father, and was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was made man? Didn't he leave his father? And do you think it's a throwaway detail that while Christ is bleeding, dying, languishing on the cross, there is his mother and there is the apostle John, and Christ says to John, behold your mother. He says to his mother, behold your son. And at this point, Christ has left both father and mother so that he can then be joined to his bride, the church. It's beautiful. These bridal images, this laying down of your life for for your bride, it's, it's just a beautiful picture, and this is exactly what Christ does for us. But then again, I think of Isaiah chapter 53, a text that we are all familiar with, one that I go to with some regularity. In fact, I like beginning in chapter 52 at verse 13. Behold, my servant, Jesus, he will act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. As many were as astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall, his, shall, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut, her, shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. So who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of Yahweh been revealed? 
For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and he was rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as, for, and as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep, we have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, and like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And he has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. And the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. What a beautiful turn. The one, the suffering servant who lays down his life, who's bruised and pierced for our transgressions, even though he dies and make his grave is with the wicked and with the rich in his death, Yet he will see his offspring. That's you and I. And we are his bride. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. And the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and he shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. And indeed, that is what Christ has done. And Boaz, in similar fashion, by redeeming Ruth, he has borne her iniquities. He has borne her punishment. He has borne her poverty and paid for it all himself and now has purchased her out of that slavery and has exalted her to his right hand as his bride. What comes next is rather fascinating. We are witnesses, all the elders said, and may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, may the Lord make her like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. And may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that Yahweh will give you by this young woman. I find it fascinating that Rachel and Leah and Tamar are mentioned so positively by these elders. It makes you wonder, have you read Genesis Okay, have you read Genesis? Do you, do you all remember the story of Rachel and Leah? There was, there was Jacob. He was, 
He was back in Padan Aram with his uncle, and he had the hots for Rachel. As soon as he laid eyes on her at that well, he knew she was the one. And he was so love-struck, he was willing to work for seven years for her. And then when the seven years were over, what happened? His uncle Laban did the old switcheroo. And because brides wear veils and it's tough to see through those things, he put Leah in the bridal veil. And wouldn't you know it, it was dark. And Jacob consummated that marriage, not realizing who he was consummating it with. And when he woke up, behold, it was Leah. Right? And then from that moment on, you had these sister wives having this rivalry between the two of them, one being loved and the other one not being loved. And their intrigue and their infighting is legendary. But isn't it interesting that here in this text, none of that is remembered. And then you have the story of Tamar, who gave birth to Perez. Need I remind you that he was conceived in an act of prostitution with her father-in-law. Okay? Not exactly an upstanding woman that we should point to and say, we want to be just like her. We want our daughters to be just like her. That doesn't make any sense. And so when I see something like this, later in the Bible, these women being mentioned and being mentioned so positively, it reminds me of this fact, that it is true that Christ has borne our iniquity. And as a result of it, the record of death that stood against us, that stood against Rachel, that stood against Leah, that stood against Tamar, the whole thing has been gone, is gone because of Christ. The only thing left are their good works and the things that they've done in pious faith that are an example to us. Isn't that fascinating? And so I would note here, <laughs> it's just one of the most amazing bits in here that th- these women are mentioned so positively by the people of Israel when they could have easily said, I think their stories are a little too seedy. We've, we may not want to make mention of them at all, but yet they did because they, like you and I, are forgiven of all of our debts and we have been rescued from poverty to sin, death, and the devil And because Christ, he has taken all of our iniquity upon himself, our sin is not remembered anymore. And so you'll note that's kind of the example here. The story then continues. So Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. No details of the wedding. We don't know what she wore. We don't know what the color scheme was or anything like that. We don't know what the dance mix was at the reception. None of that is told to us, right? Just the detail that she became his wife. And it sounds like it was glorious. And he went into her and Yahweh gave her conception. I would remind us all that it is the Lord who gives conception to women, not us. And even though we think we know what we're doing, I don't think we know what we're doing. God does. And so then she bore a son, exactly as she was supposed to do. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be Yahweh, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And that sentence tells us who the real Redeemer is. The real Redeemer wasn't Boaz. The real Redeemer was Yahweh. The real Redeemer is our God. Blessed be Yahweh. And so they glorify God for redeeming Naomi. 
and Ruth, and doing so through Boaz. But it's the Lord who gets the glory, the Lord who gets the praise. And may his name be renowned in Israel, they said. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. And indeed, that is exactly what Christ has done for us. Not only has he restored our life, he has already raised us from the dead, we being united to Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection in the waters of baptism. And he nourishes us and cares for us now, even in our old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons. She has given birth to him. So Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi, and they called him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. What a great story. And so you'll note that last part kind of invokes the texts that are coming up at the beginning of next week. Those texts that tell us that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son in, of all places, Bethlehem. Jesus, who is the son of David and the rightful heir to David's throne, is about to be, ah, his birth is coming. And it all takes place in Bethlehem. We should pay attention to what is happening here. And so a good way to put it is that because of the redemptive work of God through Boaz, we can say that this story has now come to its end and they all lived happily ever after. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you would like to support the teaching ministry of Kungsvinger Lutheran Church, you can do so by sending a tax-free donation to Kungsvinger Lutheran Church, 15950 470th Avenue Northwest, Oslo, Minnesota, 56744. And again, that address is Kungsvinger Lutheran Church, 15950 470th Avenue Northwest, Oslo, Minnesota, 56744. We thank you for your support. All of our teaching messages may be freely distributed as long as you do not edit or change the content of the message. And again, thank you for listening.